Let's dive into Monkberry Moon Delight by Paul McCartney. It was released on May 17, 1971 on his second solo album, Ram, and features one of the most bizarre lyrics of any McCartney song. It also happens to feature one of his best vocal performances. Paul says the title is derived from two different sources. The monk is a reference to his children who used to call milk monk when they were small, and he then says that the rest of it was inspired by Love Potion Number no. 9 as some sort of magical drink. That does seem to contradict the lyrics, which indicate the Monk Bay Moon Delight is consumed by smoking or sucking. He never mentions drinking or sipping, which also would have fit just fine with the syllables and the flow of the song. This isn't the last time McCartney will reference an old song as inspiration for a song title, as he also said Sea Moon was intended to be the opposite to the line Let's Not Be L7 in Wooly Bully, We'll talk about that on the Seamoon episode. The lyrics for this track are pretty nonsensical, and if you go browsing the internet for lyric sheets, you'll discover a lot of dispute between sources. In fact, I haven't found a lyric sheet that matches what I believe the chorus to say. Some sources have listed it as ketchup, as in, you know, ketchup to the person in front of you, super fury. Some have it as ketchup, as in the condiment, soup or puree, which I guess makes sense since those are all tomato-related words, but that's where the logic ends. Personally, I think he sings ketchup, as in ketchup to the person in front of you, suit for fury, um, like get dressed for battle. And it's followed by the line, don't get left behind, so that actually tracks. Still doesn't make sense in the context of the rest of the song, but as a single uh, couplet, it, it, it at least has some kind of coherence. Unlike most of the songs on Ram, I found no evidence to suggest that John Lennon thought this was a dig at him, which is sort of funny because the lyrics are written much in the way John loved to write. Think of Glass Onion or Dig a Pony with these nonsensical stream of consciousness lyrics. And even the musical arrangement has a similarity to Gimme Some Truth, which we know Paul was aware of because he was tossing John lyrics to that song back in the Get Back sessions the year before. How similar were the arrangements? They both have a repeating guitar lick um, that pops up throughout the song, and they both have aggressive, articulate lyrics that almost serve as a percussive device as much as a storytelling device. I'm not saying it's a copy. It's not that similar. But I do think Paul and John were similarly influenced when they wrote these two songs separately. The harmony of the track, pretty simple, straight ahead stuff, which is good because it allows the arrangement to really settle into a predictable groove, um, which in turn allows McCartney's vocals to be the main focus um, and kind of has a, a, a hey bulldog feel with you've got this just this root five. That kind of setup to it um, aggressively on the piano. Uh the track is in C minor, and it alternates between natural and harmonic minor, which is something we've mentioned several times in McCartney's songs. And each phrase resolves on a minor 5-7 chord, which you'd find in the natural minor. So we're playing A minor, and then he resolves to the 5-7 in natural minor. But then he immediately switches it up to a major chord, and that's where we get the harmonic minor. That, that chord comes from harmonic minor. Um, and what's cool about this is that it doesn't modulate the key at all because both chords, the the, the minor seven and the major seven, uh, the major five and the minor five, they both pull to the same tonic, 
right? You can go from uh, the G minor seven or the G major seven and end on C. They both resolve to the same tonic, but it introduces a note, in this case a B natural, that you don't hear throughout the song. So it's like having two dominants competing for attention and it immediately grabs the ear and it sounds like some cool borrowed chord the way he's using it, but it's really not. Um, for those interested in such things, the verse is a one, minor one, minor five seven, major five seven, repeated, and then the chorus chorus is a, a minor one seven to a minor four seven, and he adds the sevenths onto those chords in the chorus. Um, so we've got this. Uh, uh, where is that? Catch up, super fury. Don't get left behind. He adds those sevenths, and it gives the chorus a little less definition harmonically because your ear wants those to either be five chords or two chords because a two seven would go to a five seven, which would resolve to one, typically. you know. And, and uh, So because it doesn't resolve in the ways that you want it to, even though it's just a basic one four, one four, adding those sevenths gives it a little bit more openness in the harmony, and it allows for a bluesier sound. Um, that adding those sevens to anything um, makes it a bluesier sound because you're adding these extra harmonic elements that um, you wouldn't normally have on like a one chord. And that's pretty much it though. There are a few extra chords during the instrumental breakdown, which is just uh, enough to break up the monotony of the arrangement. But the core of the track is simply ones, fours, and fives in C minor. And like I said, that's that five alternates between the natural minor and the harmonic minor. There is one thing... Um, that he does later in the song that's kind of cool. Um, you've got the catch up, cats and kittens, don't get left behind. And then he goes here, Monkberry Moon Delight. And he adds that major six. And then resolves to that minor one with the seventh on top. And that's a cool hook that he doesn't do anywhere else in the song. He just throws it in there. And that's something that Paul did a lot. John and George did it. They, they do that a lot where they will introduce this new musical element uh, during the fade out that we don't get anywhere before. And they don't really elaborate it. They just throw it at you and, and call it a day. And that's it's very cool in this one. Um, I love this song. I'd mentioned that before that the first time I listened to Ram, I didn't really care for it. And it wasn't until my second listening several months later that I really fell in love with this album. Monkberry Moon Delight, though, was the single song that I absolutely loved upon first listen. Um, sometimes I wish I could go back in time and listen to some of these albums again for the first time, but at the age I am now. Because would I now at 40 feel differently um, the first time listening to Ram than I did when I was 16 or 17, however old I was when I bought this album? Um, now that my musical palette is broader, um, probably I might have liked it immediately or my liking of this album is what helped broaden the palette. So you could argue either way. But it would be cool to listen to this again um, for the first time with a more sophisticated ear than I had when I was a teenager. Uh, as I said at the top of this episode, this is one of Paul's best vocals as a solo artist. 
as far as the belters go he's got some great lyric or some great vocals throughout his catalog but as far as just the belting rock and rollers this is one of his best and i feel like something clicked off when he left the beatles and the quality of his belters um changed now i don't know if it was the competition with john who could belt also or the way that George Martin produced vocal tracks that made a difference, but it's rare to hear him belt with the same quality and intensity as, say, Oh Darling, even though he was only a couple years older at this point. Uh, a lot of the time, say on Rock Show, for example, he sounds like he's doing an impression of a belt. It sounds great, don't get me wrong, but it sounds different, and you really hear it on his live tracks of the last two decades since he has an older voice and he just can't belt in the same way. But like, if you listen to him sing Helter Skelter now, he sounds like he's affecting a belt-like tone in his neck, as opposed to pushing it out from his diaphragm, which gives it a more depth, more support, um, more character. And even though now he does it out of necessity because he's got an older voice, it's dropped a little bit, so it's it's naturally lower. Um, so now he kind of affects it because he just can't belt Helter Skelter the way he used to. Um, you hear him start doing that in his solo career as early as this album. But on this track, he sounds like classic McCartney. And another one that he sounds like classic McCartney is from Venus and Mars, Call Me Back Again. Um, that's another contender for the top spot as far as his, his solo belting. But I just think it's funny um, that still at a relatively young age, I mean, he's 30 when he does this album, um, that he seems to have shifted the way he belts. And, and it never really went back unless he was working with George Martin. Right, because when he's doing ballroom dancing on tug of war, when he's when he's belting that chorus, that sounds like classic McCartney. Now that sounds like uh, a forty-year-old classic McCartney, um, but still, it's it doesn't sound as affected. What are your thoughts on this track? I've I've drifted off the topic here. Um, what are your thoughts on this track? Give me a call at 925-494-1739. Email me at kinksandbeats at herohabit.com. Leave a comment on this YouTube video or subscribe to our Substack, which is now where the podcast is being distributed from. And as always, thanks for watching or listening. And for more Kinks and Beatles content, swing by herohabit.com. And while you're there, join our new social network. Take care, stay safe, and join me next time.